please be seated. Would you pray with me? Jesus, you are the resurrection and the life, life itself, in a world of existence. Lord, help us to understand what that means. What does it mean that you are the resurrection and the life, not only for eternity's sake, but now, here, right now, today? And so, Lord, to that end, I ask that we, each of us, might open our hearts to a fresh anointing of your Spirit, that we would surrender ourselves and give your Spirit room to move inside of us, that we might hear your voice today. And so, Lord, I ask that you would pour upon me the gift of preaching, that my very frail and broken and human words might, by the power of your Holy Spirit, become your living word, uniquely crafted for each and every one of our hearts. We pray it with great confidence, for we pray it in the name of the resurrection and the life, Jesus. Amen. We're in the fifth week of Lent, a season where we are... Encouraged to spend time doing uh, what Jemmy was leading us in, praying, asking God to help us see the broken parts of us that really are responsible, right, for putting Jesus. What's our part of putting Jesus on the cross? And it's a hard season in those ways, but it's also a powerful season for as we face uh, that brokenness, we can receive grace. Uh, We can receive the resurrection and the life in a new way. Um, and so uh, we are continuing this, the series on Jesus' I Am statements in John. And the one today is I Am the Resurrection and the Life. If we're familiar with this statement, most of us uh, see it as a statement filled with hope regarding eternal life, right? Jesus rose from the dead. We have eternal life in him. He says, you know, even though you die, you will live. We think about that in terms of the eternal Life. But as we heard earlier, the context for Jesus first saying this was the death of his friend Lazarus. It was a scene filled with grief and anguish, a scene that was very present in this life, not in the next. In fact, uh, when Jesus <laughs> raises Lazarus from the dead, he, he pulls him from eternity, right, back on to this planet. And so this is a scene that's literally about life and death. Right then. And as Jesus arrives, uh, he's late, by the way, and and, uh, purposefully late. And so Martha is distressed because Lazarus has been dead for four days. And she said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And Jesus replies to her by saying that Lazarus will rise again. And Martha says, of course he will. She's thinking eternally, right? Eternity in the resurrection on the last day. And that's when Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives now by believing in me will never die. And then he says, do you believe this? Do you believe this? And Martha replies, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah. Of course, as I said, we know how the story ends. Jesus does something beyond what Martha could ever hope or imagine. Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. 
And from that, as I said, it becomes clear that Jesus' statement is meant not just for the next life, but for this one. Caroline Lewis, a professor of biblical preaching at Luther Seminary, writes, The raising of Lazarus makes two very important claims for our future. That Jesus will be raised, this is the future, and so will we. Death will not be the end. This is normally what we think of. Jesus' tomb, our tomb, will end up empty. But in all of that certainty about our future, we sometimes forget the ways in which the promise of resurrection impinges on the present. Jesus needs us to see that we can experience resurrected life here and now. And that shapes our reality here and now. So what is the impact of Jesus on our lives in the here and now? Does knowing Jesus impact our daily life? Does it change how we view ourselves and others in the world? Um, in, the, uh, in an article entitled The Grim Trends in Loneliness and Mortality, I know you're excited to hear this quote, um, Mona Charon writes, The General Social Survey, a large-scale study that's tracked American attitudes and feelings for 80 years, has noted a decline in well-being among both adults and adolescents starting around 2012. The drop in happiness is particularly marked among teenagers. And the rate of deaths of despair, I hadn't heard of this term before, deaths of despair from drug overdose, suicide, alcohol-related liver disease, rose so much in the past several decades before COVID that overall life expectancy has dropped for the first time since the early 20th century. I just want you to let that sink in a minute. This is, this is really weighty, right? That deaths of despair, these are deaths that could have been avoided, right? Um, have, have been so impactful that life expectancy dropped for the first time in a hundred years. Why? Well, Sharon, and this is not a, a religiously based survey, by the way, uh, this woman shares one surprising cause. She says, using the repeal of blue laws, I remember what blue laws, I know everybody my age does, we lived through them, which prohibited certain activities on Sundays. Using that as a shock, because it was a very marked time, right? It, it, there's a before and an after. So as the shock to measure changes, researchers found that repeal of blue laws noticeably reduced attendance at relig- religious services. And that declining religious participation tracked closely with increasing rates of death and deaths of despair. So this is a correlation between being regularly a part of worship in church, in belief, in religious practice, and how that impacts our life today. Right? So Jesus being the resurrection and the life. What this is saying in one way, right, is that that statement is meaning it impacts us now. Um, So just as Jesus asked Martha, do you believe this? Do you believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? It is also a fundamental question for each and every person today, right? A question that Mona Sharon is stating has weighty consequences in how we answer it. In other words, as people step back from Jesus... And by the way, one of the reasons that when they, they removed blue laws, that, that religious attendance declined, 
is because I, if I'm remembering my statistics right, about 63% of Americans do not have a college degree. And what that means is most of them work in service industry, the very jobs that are now open on Sunday mornings. So they can't go to church. And those, by the way, uh, high school educated or below people, uh, males particularly, white males particularly, are the ones that are leading in deaths of despair. So the people that can't go to church any longer oftentimes are the ones that are suffering the most. Um, So what is it about knowing and following Jesus that would make that kind of difference in our experience of this earthly life, right? Something is going on. Well, in John 5, Jesus says something interesting. He says, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. In the moment we believe in Jesus and we follow him as his disciple, in that moment we have crossed over from death to life. As the resurrection and the life, before we believed in him, right? Jesus is saying, as the resurrection and the life, before we believed in him, that even though we're technically existing and breathing, we're as dead as a doornail. Right? We don't have the life of God, of Christ, the created life, real life, eternal life maybe, within us. There was no effectual life in us. That's only when we believe and surrender to Jesus does life, real life, follow. Now I want you to think about that, right? On one level, most any Christian intuits this, but I don't think we really consider the implications of it. Literally, by the power and what we would say theologically, by the power of the Holy Spirit within us, the prayer this morning, I was asking you and me to open our hearts to a fresh anointing, the presence of God's Spirit within us. I really believe that that presence is the presence of life that is found by grace in Jesus Christ. That's the kind of life we're talking about. And that life infuses us, right, um, with, that, with what the effects of that life are. Um, And so then how do we counter the dark and evil trend that's happening when people walk away from it? As the statistics reveal, we have to ensure that we don't walk away and abandon our connection to Jesus, but rather that we keep the faith, even in seasons of doubt, by daily remembering that life is found as we are in intimate and organic relationship with Jesus. This is not um, a doctrinal question. It's a relational question. This isn't an essence of, oh, I believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. I believe, I believe technically that Jesus lived and died and rose again. Yes, that's the beginning. Doctrine is important, but you can't stop there. It's an actual relationship. It's something that we invest time in, that we trust, that we put our faith in. And so how do we do that? Like, how do we do this? And and I want to give you incredible hope today. It, It begins with really simple actions, one that you have taken this morning, right? While there are many spiritual practices that are beneficial, some of the most helpful are the simplest, like regularly showing up on Sundays with a heart attuned and ready to worship. Why? What happens when we worship? 
We connect to God. Something happens. Now, you can also come and not worship. You can be here the whole time and be distracted, bored, whatever, right? That's true too. So it is an issue of the heart. It's a matter of the heart within us, right? As I've said many times, uh, we were created to worship. And if you're not worshiping God, you're worshiping something else. And I want you to think about this just for a minute. So let's just say that's true. I, I can't prove that that's true, but let's say that's true. So when you walk away from Jesus, when you walk away from faith, when you begin to embrace secular humanism or whatever you want to call the world's view of life, materialism, the meritocracy, you've imbi- you're all bought into that. Guess what? What this is saying is that you begin to worship it. So now you're worshiping money or power or prestige or the idea of winning or being perfect. And what I think the statistics that, sh- that uh, Mona was sharing in that, that article is that when we begin to worship those things over time, it can kill us because we are in despair. It is not enough. It is not the resurrection and the life, right? Now, this is kind of heavy today, isn't it? Sorry, I'm really digging in. But guys, this is so important. This is the very foundation of what faith in Christ and being disciple is all about. And so coming to worship, just coming to worship with the right heart and attitude, it's going to help you tremendously. This is the thing. The reason God created the Sabbath is because we work for six days or five days or 12 days, whatever it is, and then we need to rest. And we need to rest and refocus our life, and certain things happen. And so I'm going to go through them quickly. One that happens here is we worship, right, that I'm talking about. Second, we engage and encounter the sacraments. Last Sunday, we saw the baptism of Samuel Tinney. Right? And we're reminded of God's grace through those sacraments, right? That God knows Samuel's name, that God's grace is already present in Samuel's life. And we pray for Samuel to find the day when the God would lead him to profess Jesus as his Lord and Savior. We have the Lord's Supper, and when we engage with the sacraments on Sunday, the Holy Spirit is doing things that I don't understand. No the- if they say they understand, they really don't. Theologians love to think they do, but they don't. God is doing something. And the Catholics think it looks one way, and the Protestants another, and non-denoms another. I mean, it's mysterious, but it's happening. And when we're here and we experience that, life is happening. We remember things, right? So the sacraments. Uh, Third, scripture, hearing scripture read, like Jimmy shared with us, and prayers said, um, hearing uh, sermons. Right, that we are regularly reminded that there is a gracious God who is in control. You're being reminded today that there is life outside of work and sports and whatever else, right? We think life is found in. And when we're reminded of this every week, it's often enough. It may not be enough. It's better if it's every day, but it helps us get reset. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. This is life. This is what's important. Then we had the part of what Jemmy led us through this morning, confessional prayer. Every week we need to confess in worship together and individually, right? We're reminded that our own flawed condition, we are flawed and we're reminded that we are not perfect and more that that is okay. 
That God knows our sin and brokenness and by sheer grace through Jesus forgives us and more empowers us toward healing, toward life. Life in a world of existence. This is what I think Jesus meant when he said that when we believe in him, we cross over from death to life. We're experiencing the life of forgiveness and healing. And that life includes resurrection. And what I mean by that is, yes, one day we will be resurrected, Jesus, just like Jesus was. But in the meantime, today, in our lives, we, uh, it's bringing back to life what we've lost through sin. Right? There are parts of us that come back to life. And I think what happens when we go off and we walk away from God is we lose this ability for ourselves to be resurrected on the inside, right? And we begin to just, whatever the dark parts of us are, just begin to take hold. And over time, it creates great despondency and depression. And so we end up, right, as we confess, as we receive and trust that God's grace and Jesus is sufficient for us, we begin to grow and be more healthy spiritually and mentally and emotionally. And then we can take that resurrection with us. For instance, you know, as you come to know God and the hope is that then on a daily basis you begin to connect with God through the reading of Scripture and prayer, through, through joining in all creation with worship like you've heard me talking about, well, then God is able to re- re- resurrect within you because we're connecting with Him. Um, we can call on Jesus' presence to resurrect patience within us. I don't know about you, but I... I really need patience resurrected within me (laughs) regularly. Or we can ask Jesus to resurrect within us forgiveness and to help us forgive others or compassion or love. That these things that can literally die on the vine within us can be resurrected by the power of his spirit and grace. God resurrects life within us in real time. And we can walk through the day, and as we re-engage that, it really can happen. And then, as we mature and as we grow in these practices, then we're able to share that resurrection life with others, right? We become a light of Christ as the body of Christ out in the world. We think about what Agape is doing in the area where they work, right? They are resurrecting life in that neighborhood. This is what kingdom life looks like. And this is the life that gives us life. This is what keeps us from falling into despair. This is what keeps us hopeful. Right? And so it really is something that we have to pay attention to. And then besides worshiping and connecting with God during worship, another life-giving benefit is worshiping together. We can worship alone But there's something that happens when we worship together. I read an article by David Welch, who's a local pastor, who said, for many of us, the pandemic showed us how lonely we really are and what isolation actually feels like. People recognize a hunger that they couldn't identify before they had it. There is a need for spiritual community. And so... The thing that makes Christian community unique is Christian community is a community in which acceptance and love are not dependent on performance. Acceptance and love are not dependent on performance. 
And I think the despair and the despondency that leads to these deaths of despair is because everything in our world feels like it's dependent upon performance. And so to have life within us, we need to be in a gracious place where we can love one another and forgive one another. And this uniqueness makes Christian community a safe haven, right? A place to discover or rediscover who God has created us to be. And so what I, what I want to do here at the end is just to say it is so important for us to do this for ourselves. But it is so important for us to do it for our children. Um, Mona Sheeran's article states that this decline in well-being and happiness is particularly marked among teenagers. And the data is stating that what we're giving teens is not enough. Does that make sense? If that's what's happening. And it's actually making things worse. And I want to say this as a parent and how much I've struggled with these things. As a parent or grandparent or aunt or uncle, this is deeply troubling news, right? News that I think many of us already sense as we look around today. Yet to me, our culture at large doesn't have any effective answers. When we look at what culture encourages us to invest our time in to prepare our children for adulthood, it's heavily focused on a few things, right? How much of our time as parents when our kids are growing up is spent on sports and academics or extracurricular activities and academics? And what happens again and again in reality, and it's just reality, and I understand it, but I just want you to think about all the stuff I've just been talking about. What happens to our kids is we get so focused on their resume, and it's important. School's important, sports, it's all important, I understand it. But what happens is church loses out. And when church loses out for your children and mine over time, despair ensues. Because they are now caught in a process of perfectionism. They feel like they have to be the best baseball player or the best dancer or the best instrumentalist or the best academic and they have to have just the right resume to get into just the right college so that they can get just the right job. (laughs) How many of you have just the right job? I mean, can I just ask? I mean, all this that they're focused on, I mean, there are, right? There are a few who do. But most of us, it's like, wow, Whatever I thought just the right job was when I was 13 or 15 or 18, it wasn't what I'm doing now. I can tell you that. Do you understand what I'm saying? We have to make room for life. We have to make room for a community in which acceptance and love are not dependent upon their performance. That is where health is in their lives. And that's what's actually going to help them to perform better in life is if they don't think it all is dependent upon them. Um, The author Brooks writes uh, in The Atlantic, he says, One of life's cruelest mysteries is why we are impelled to pursue rewards that bring success but not happiness. We are impelled to pursue rewards that bring success but not happiness. That's what I'm talking about, right? The smarter you are, the better equipped you should be to understand that well-being comes from faith, family, friendship, and work that serves others. Your intelligence is more likely to bring you happiness if you put it to use by chasing better ways to love and serve others rather than elbowing others aside and hoarding worldly rewards. It's just a great reminder, right? So tempting 
to be self-centered rather than other-centered. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Jesus said when you believe in him, you have crossed over from death to life. And the question is, do we truly believe this? There are implications if what we believe is true. Implications for you and for me. Implications for our children. We have to make the hard decisions regularly in and out to come to worship every Sunday we can. To make space in our lives to get our kids in a community where performance is not the key. But a gracious and loving relationship with Jesus. And as we make those hard calls, right... That is where life is going to be found in our lives. May we believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life, not just for eternity, but for right now. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.